welcome to machine learning. Well, I uh, just finished my course on uh, time and uh, you can uh, also bring in your pandas and uh, and convert the uh, date the data date time into the local time zone um, and uh, you could also parse the the string columns into date time or you can use the pandas to date time function uh, or you can use a parameter on the data frame called parse date time or parse uh, underscore dates um, today we're going to be talking about the machine learning automation ML AI pipeline and uh, I'm going to have a guest speaker on so you want to listen to that and that should be really interesting uh, he I've, I've kind of talked about it yesterday a little bit in preparation and uh, confirmed that we're going to have him come on and talk and uh, he has a, a team of of uh, machine learner, learning uh, programmers who uh, are building pipelines. And so we want to talk about, you know, some of the key components to the type pipeline, um, why it's important to build pipelines versus uh, Jupyter nodes, and, uh, you know, just uh, having uh, different types of uh, scripting that is done versus, you know, building kind of like this programmable uh, environment where you're connecting uh, different pipelines to uh, get the uh, work done. So uh, we, uh, we want to um, build a what what we wanted to talk about uh, kind of like a, what type of things might be useful in a pipeline. Um, one that uh, I've been kind of thinking about is, again, this idea of companies, where, where companies are. And uh, where, where companies are is they... Uh, they have a, uh, most companies now are, are providing uh, RESTful calls. So you, you get a token and you make a RESTful call. And from that you can, you can do transactions, you can build, uh, you can build, uh, uh, you can do puts, you can do posts, you can do deletes. Not so much deletes, because I, I, that's kind of a dangerous thing, but, um, but you can do uh, place, do, fill in information, pass that uh, JSON over, and uh, and get your your uh, your transaction completed that way through a RESTful call. And uh, on the reverse side, you can also get the JSON string. Now, one thing that I found that was really interesting is that SQL Server has the ability to convert that JSON string into a SQL-like command using OpenJSON. And so what you do is uh, you give basically 
the path, the X path to the variable name in the da data. So that allows you to um, have uh, uh, nested JSONs. So let's say you have order and order details. And the order details would be the nested portion of the JSON. It would be, uh, you would have a detail called order details, and, and then there would be multiple line items on that order detail. And, and so you could get the equivalent of a left join, or in this case, it would be an inner join between orders and order detail in the JSON and display that out as a SQL statement. And, uh, and that, that's a very nice innovation, very nice. And I'm very thankful that Microsoft did that. Now, the other side to this is you can use a, uh, a tool called curl uh, to get your JSON. So you, you pass your, your data um, and, uh, and then you uh, create your, uh, you, you, you get the URL or URI and put the path in there, which is your RESTful path to on the on the uh, destination or target uh, target server and then it will return back a JSON string to you and it, and you can feed that into a uh, as a, a string and then what you do is you replace the single apostrophe with double apostrophe and then you pass that into the open JSON string as an open JSON uh, as a JSON string to the open JSON uh, function in the T-SQL and now you've got access to it as if it were a table. Uh, that is just fantastic uh, because you can use that to load uh, uh, staging tables and uh, then you can merge that staging table into your production table. And those are just great ways of, of dealing with data. It's fast and you can bring in all your data set. And so very powerful. I think more and more companies are providing RESTful APIs to uh, their customers so that their customers can access their data. And that becomes so critical because now I can, I can take that data and I can I can put it into Power BI. I can do my uh, analysis from there, and uh, also I can uh, I could uh, run some Python or I can run some uh, uh, SSRS, which would be basically XML. So is Power BI XML with the DAX programming language, and uh, I can understand my data better. And that's really what your objective is: is to better understand your data. And from that understanding of the data, then to be able to answer different uh, questions that might be in your data. And um, so we are, uh, we're learning. And uh, I'm back on the Super Bowl. I'm, I've finished, uh, I have one more project to complete for my uh, data science uh, certificate. 
which I'm looking forward to from Betacamp. I feel like they're a pretty prestigious group. And one thing I, I like is it doesn't, you're not filled with a lot of nonsense with uh, trying to figure out who's the smartest and who's not. And when I try to challenge myself to answer the questions, not to, to get the show answer, but to actually push myself to, to see what I know. And that's one of the most important things you can ask of yourself is, what do I know already? You might surprise yourself that you know quite a bit. And uh, try to answer the question based on what you know. And then as you get better understanding of what you're trying to accomplish, then the more experience you get, the more you kind of have this familiarity. You may not recall exactly how to do things, but then you always got search engines that can help you with that. But if you know that it exists and it can be done, then you uh, try to achieve that level of proficiency. And that's, uh, and that's amazing uh, because then all of a sudden you start having the capability of doing hard things. So you can do simple things. It starts off simple. And as you build that confidence with the simple things, then things can become more complicated uh, and, and, uh, and more capable of answering harder questions. I always uh, like the numbers series because he starts off and he always kind of has some idea from some publication that he's read or, or some theory that he's, he knows about. It seems like there's always a different theory he's proposing to solving a crime. But it, it has a certain level of rationality to it, you know. Like, uh, it's all based on probability. But the way they organize probability and the way they reduce it down to a conclusion is, is different. Just like there's multiple types of classifiers, but ultimately you have five things that you, you want to know. Uh, is it trending? Do, what classification does it have? What are the, uh, what type of groupings are occurring? Is there something weird that's going on uh, in, the, in the patterns? that might, might be causing uh, some concern. And last of all, what kind of actions can be taken from uh, the knowledge of the previous group, uh, group categories? And that's kind of where, you, if you can get to that, where automation, where you can make statistical decisions using either random forest trees or Bayesian networks based on probability, you would be surprised at the accuracy that you achieve. And uh, let's say that, that that accuracy improvement is only 1%. But over time, that 1% advantage might help you in your, against, your uh, against the losses and increase your earnings as you make uh, that 1% better choice. And uh, in the case of self-driving cars, that, that 1% could make a huge difference in the outcome of your survivability. And so like with distracted drivers, it's only like two or three seconds. I saw this one YouTube that was really quite funny, but really tragic in some ways because it could have resulted in the death of other people. 
but she was just looking down, texting, and she got mesmerized by what she was texting, and she lost concentration, and the next thing she knew, she was upside down and flying through the air in her car, and uh, managed to survive, but that was one of those events that uh, could have ended tragically, and if she had uh, drowsy awareness or a car that uh, uh, assisted with driving, it makes you wonder if the car would have recognized the distraction and then either sounded an alert or uh, taken over control of the car. Well, and I watched this other series too last night called Next, and I don't know what to think of it, but so far, the data in Next or the, the themes seem to be based on real occurrences that have occurred in AI. For example, uh, if you remember the Lexus where the, the, the electronic brake didn't work and properly and the per they couldn't get it out of gear because they couldn't engage the brake, they couldn't turn the vehicle off. And so there's this kind of loss of control from the user. And uh, um, I'm not sure, I'd have to go look at the, the reports of what the, what, how many people were injured in that before that, that was recalled. Um, so there was a case where the engineering did not work as desired. And would, could that possibly be the case in, in a self-driving car where uh, it completely blocks the user from interacting and taking command and control? And I don't think today we have vehicles where that can happen um, that are commercially sold. I imagine you could build a, a car that's like that, but as far as I know, we still have, as human beings, we still have uh, the right to take over control of the vehicle. So even if you're in an FSD and you're drive, it's driving, if you decide to take over control of the vehicle, you, you can. But let's say a person had a heart attack. Would the car detect that uh, the person had a heart attack and then to prevent uh, more serious consequences as a result of that heart attack, would the car then uh, safely navigate to the hospital and, and then alert and call the hospital that the person was having a heart attack? Uh, if a person was a drunk driver, would the car then detect uh, that there, there's uh, signs of inebriation in the face gestures and then uh, block the person from driving or else take a uh, uh, full autonomous control of the car and then alert uh, maybe safety personnel that uh, the person's attempting to drive while intoxicated. I mean, these are some questions that could uh, pose some interesting control issues because a person might think that while they, they were, even though they were uh, intoxicated, they should still have the right to take control of that car. And uh, uh, maybe the car won't start. Maybe the car will just won't uh, take him home. But then the other thing is, is what if it was really cold outside, and uh, and then the car wouldn't start, or maybe it would start, but it wouldn't 
wouldn't uh, move forward because um, the person wasn't safe to drive. Or even in the case of people being older where their responses are slower, uh, would, it, would it calculate that their responses were slower and that they were driving too slow or, or uh, 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 kind of a safety hazard because they're driving below the speed limit and uh, causing uh, risk to other drivers? And then how's t what is the definition of too old and what is the definition of slower response? Uh, and so, you know, maybe they're in a new area and everything is new and they're trying to figure out where to go and it's, it's more challenging and so they're driving slower. But then the self-driving car picks up on that and uh, takes control. So uh, again, uh, there, would, there is, seems to be some uh, control issues that need to be addressed. And without uh, uh, disrupting the person's feeling of autonomy. Well, we will be talking about the machine pipeline today. So until then, happy coding, and I'll talk to you later.